1: Hello, I am mischievous Mark Chinnacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man,
0: including the annuals, which do not count. I'm the available Alan Shurstel, and I read and buy my comics digitally for the most part these days, and am—I think I'm a conscientious objector when it comes to this whole annual debate.
1: Well, excellent, Alan. I mean, you know, that's better than someone who like digs their heels in and has to have an opinion. So I'm with you. Welcome to The Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of The Amazing Spider Talk, where opinions are definitely welcome, unlike opinions about the annual debate.
0: you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, future, Subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. Every other week, we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show. And sprinkled in between, we review new comics, as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. This is the perfect time to start listening. And I should remind you, you actually get to hear Dan on those, not not Exactly.
1: And if you want to hear even more Dan, like old school, like Babe in the Woods Dan, you should go to some of our older episodes, which include great interviews, Alongside Babe in the Woods, Dan with like industry legends like Mark Bagley, Jim DeMatteis, Ron Friends, Tom DeFalco, etc. In our podcast feed, amazing Spider Talk back issues, and in addition to checking those those episodes out, leave a review because if you leave a review, it's going to like trigger something in the algorithm, and then Dan is going to be like less anxious about promoting it on Twitter while he's trying to raise a newborn baby. So. Go to Amazing spider tuck back issues, leave a review, and move on with your life. There you go.
0: What? Today on the show, Mark and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider Man, Volume 6, Number 7. This issue was written by Zeb Wells with interior and cover pencils by John Romita Jr., inks by Scott Hanna, colors by Marcio Menez, and letters by VC's Joe Caramanga. This issue was first released on August 10th, 2022.
1: Awesome, Alan. Well, thanks for the setup. I'm going to do one of my patented Mark. Sounds like he's from Queens type uh, synopses of what happened. We're going to start in Brownsville, which is a tough neighborhood in Brooklyn. So it's got to be with some tough people, right? And indeed, it's Adrian Toombs and his granddaughter, Tiana. Tiana says, enough is enough. Someone told her that Adrian was a killer and she can't be around him anymore vulture already knows who he must be none other than the amazing spider-man and boy is vulture pissed so then we go to peter who's meeting with norman osborn at oscorp truly he's all i forgive you for murdering my girlfriend and my newborn daughter and the countless other people in your pursuit to murder me and norman is all like hey man why did one of the greatest comic book artists of all time give me the worst haircut ever peter can't answer but instead they're talking about the latest and greatest of oscorp research when mary jane walks in Super awkward, but you see, MJ is a brand ambassador for Norman, so let's repeat the joke I just said a few seconds ago about all the forgiveness. But we'll change some of the relationships around a bit, I guess. Then, Paul shows up to ratchet the awkward meter up a few more notches, and if the whole scene isn't unnerving enough, we get a brief one-panel flashback to Paul taking a swing at Peter and MJ looking terrified. And the mystery of what Peter did and why we are where we are marches on ever so slowly. Peter confronts Norman because even he's like, this is all too convenient for a sociopath like you to have to come here to the same day as my ex. Peter admits he has a hard time just accepting Norman as a good guy and whatever help he was seeking, he's done now. But Norman pulls back the curtain to reveal a new suit. Cue the collecting speculators. Vulture is back on a rooftop looking for Spider-Man. Spider-Man is ruminating about Osborn in his head. Inner monologues, baby. Vulture spots his prey and goes on the attack, and after a sideways and upside-down fist fight, Tombs cuts the Gordian knot and smashes Peter's web shooters, and Peter is in free fall. In two weeks, we're apparently getting an issue about Spider-Man's funeral. It's too pad- it's too bad Peter didn't just leave the scene of a guy who is known for flying around the city on a glider. And that... Is my synopsis? What'd you think, Alan? Did I? Am I? I was told by someone like, "Oh, I I like how you bring some humor to it." But now I'm wondering if I'm just like leaning too much into it. I might be leaning too much into it. I
0: I feel like you you delivered the review actually during that. But no, I mean, I was over here legitimately laughing. So, like, I was honestly laughing because I I found that honestly amusing, and all your points are well taken. Uh, But at the same time, I have to admit, have you ever seen that that? show Bill Maher has on HBO. I mean, I've seen it once or twice with my parents. (laughs) I don't watch it regularly because I don't own a PT Cruiser. (laughs) Uh, But late in the show, he delivers a monologue and they cut to the panelists who are on the show and the panelists laugh along. And I always feel for them, like, what an awkward position to put them in. Like, they have to laugh, like, professionally, on camera, at this guy who... I it's it's I very I, boomerish. Yeah, they gotta laugh at things they might exactly. not agree with, yes. is what I'm yes. saying. And I felt a little bit like that at one point during your monologue. <laughs> your synopsis that became a monologue. Uh, but we'll, we'll we'll get into it in a little bit when we discuss. I mean, the I,
1: issue. I, I promise not to go on like a tirade about woke people like Bill Marwood, but but <laughs> in, in, instead instead let's talk a little bit. I mean, talking about woke, let's talk about this Peter and Norman frenemy dynamic that's being set up here. I mean, okay. Like not to be that Spider-Man fan, Alan, but can we actually accept this? I mean, okay, Peter is clearly struggling with this whole dynamic. We're even in his head at parts, which I really appreciated. It's not like he's just like, "Yeah, Norman's great." I mean, like he knows like this is weird, but all the same, can we actually accept this? Like, can we? Like, like are we just gonna like pretend that we can do this? Uh, What do you think?
0: I I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm feeling like I'm willing to roll with this and see where it's going. Also, for reasons we'll get into it in a little bit, I think we might not know everything about what Peter's thinking here. But but yeah, asking us to accept Norman Osborne in a potential mentoring uh capacity, you know, in this run, that's a lot to ask. Like, I don't know if you ever watched the 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 classic TV spy series Alias, where where the great Ron Rifkin was the villain in the first season, but he but he pretended to be a good guy, but he was really the villain. And then, like halfway through to second season, like JJ Abrams is like, okay, we've done everything we can with that setup. Let's let's just remix the whole show. And they did, and it was great. it was really cool they upended their own premise they solved the mysteries and suddenly they had to find a way to make Ron Rifkin like be involved again even though he's the villain and he'd been busted and so they made him like her mentor again and because the show was ludicrous good fun We went along with it. Like we were just like, okay, this doesn't really make sense, but she's frustrated. The lead character played by Jennifer Garner is frustrated. She hates it. I understand that. And this is just more fun to watch her squirm. Right now, I'm finding it fun to watch Peter Parker squirm. But I'll tell you this, in the third season of Alias, they pulled that crap again and the show wasn't fun anymore and it just felt like an insult. It's a very fine line you're walking when you ask us to accept the man who murdered Peter Parker's girlfriend as somebody he's going to place any capacity of trust in at all. So, Mark, that was a lot more about Alias than you guys (laughs) wanted to know. I don't think we're being asked to accept it here. I think we're meant, I think, I think we're meant to think like Peter is right now, to be on our guard, to be uncertain about this. And I think that the great cover of this issue tips us off to this. Like, if you didn't know the story context of Norman and Peter's relationship going into this issue and you just saw that issue at the comic shop, you would think this cover is about a triumphant villain who finally has defeated Spider-Man. He's literally holding Spider-Man's head. But it also works as a man showing off the new mask he built for his friend. And I really love that ambiguity. So I feel like Marvel knows it. Marvel knows this is ambiguous and they're working with it. And that Peter's reluctance and his discomfort all through this long first scene. And then finally his, his burst of anger, righteous anger at Norman. Uh, that's all great. And I think that's all in there. I would like to get a greater sense though, of why Peter is in that room in the first place. I mean, it's interesting that we don't get Parker POV narration during these scenes. We do get them later on during the Spider-Man scenes. And that might just be like a technical storytelling decision. Like, it makes much more sense you, to have Spider-Man narrated a little bit to... Make us feel how high the stakes are, how he feels like he's in danger. You know, the short, curt little sentences he has, like, oh God, he let go. You know, that stuff is really powerful and you need it to sell that final conflict. But I would love a little bit of narration or something up here so that we know what is motivating Peter or why he's in that room or why he's going along with it. I'm still buying the idea in this run. Sorry, Mark, I'm talking for a long time. I'll shut up after this. I, I'm still buying the idea that Peter is depressed. But it would be very easy for the for Zeb Wells to have him just think something like, I need the money and working for Norman is the best way I can keep an eye on him while I find out what his true intentions are. And also working for him means I can like change into Spider-Man during the day and go out and do spider stuff. Without having to tell a bunch of lies to my boss, like it makes story sense that he would go there and do this, but we're not seeing him make those calculations.
1: Yeah, and I think this is frankly where we get into the pratfalls of the the what I kind of refer to, and this I, I, when I say I refer to it, I mean like I said this when we reviewed issue one a few months ago, the mystery box angle. You know, like this is this is, you know, like we really haven't dealt with. The true fallout of starting this entire run with this, you know, flashback to a scene that we have no context for, and apparently is a life altering decision that Peter made that made him persona non grata with so many people. We didn't really deal with that all that much during the last three or four chapters of the Tombstone run. And I think, frankly, that's what made that run sing so much because we were just telling a Spider Man story at that point. We really weren't getting into the nitty gritty of. Like, what did Peter do and why is this happening and why is MJ here and why is Norman here? And, you know, like as much as I I think there is a lot of good to be mined out of this issue that we'll get into as we go further into this review. But this this is the first issue since probably the first or second that I feel really, truly brings us back into the there's a mystery going on and we don't have all the cards and Peter assumedly it has all the cards, but to your note, isn't inner monologuing about it because, you know, Zeb Wells or editorial or whoever has determined if we reveal too much right now, we're going to spoil our own mystery angle here. So we kind of get stuck in this like weird limbo of narration where, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with a lot of awkward, incomprehensible stuff in a Spider Man story and not getting a lot of context for it. And, you know, we're just kind of putting our faith in the creators here to deliver on a story. where So in 15, 20, 30, how many issues they're going to drag this out for, we are in a sensible place. And, you know, like after the whole Kindred debacle, that's a very precarious place to be right now. I just, I just want to put that out there. I mean, like, you know, I know we got different creators. It's not Nick Spencer anymore. It's the same editorial team. So we're going to see how this ultimately all plays out.
0: Which is, for me, the difference between this and and the very beginnings of the Kindred arc is that the Kindred mystery was all about, oh, where is this going? Whereas this mystery, yeah, it's about the past. But like the run is so far is interesting, even independent of it. Like it's not driving things here necessarily. I feel like I'm getting enough interesting Spider-Man storytelling to where I'm not just waiting around I think, as I put it, when we were talking during the Nick Spencer runs, run once when I came on here, I'm not like waiting to get to the fireworks factory. I feel like we're there. And one maybe there's a grand finale that reveals a mystery, but things are already happening in this book that seem to matter. In I mean, book.
1: points for the fireworks factory reference, Alan. This is, this is why you are the available one, of course. I will say with all of my ranting about mystery boxes and being a little frustrated in how we're slow burning this thing. To your point here, like the awkwardness and the unnerving nature of all of this right now was really well executed in this issue. Like like this is, you know, I, I know I started by saying, are we really accepting this? And you were like, well, no, we're not. And no, we're not. I mean, that's the thing. Like the way this is all written, like we know this is a WTF moment here. Like what what are we doing here? Wells and, and Ramita and how they kind of lay this out and, and, and unfurl it page by page, they really play into that. Like, like, like this is meant to be really upsetting and 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 confusing and disorienting you know from from the first page to the last page i mean this is this is is kind of i don't want to say upset because that sounds very melodramatic but this is certainly the most kind of disoriented i've been reading a spider-man comic but still following the plot like i i shouldn't say you know in a while because i was quite disoriented during like the reveals of kindred but i was disoriented in a like what the Am I actually reading here? Whereas this, it's like, okay, no, this is very uh, upsetting and confusing, and and not, it doesn't seem right. But we're telling it still in a in a in a narrative in a narratively clear way to get to to where we feel like we're going somewhere. So you know, we, we I guess it's kind of the best of both worlds in that regard.
0: Yeah, it's it's being told in a way where I feel like if you come to it. I don't want to say charitably. I don't want to say generously. If you come to it with an open mind and you're not just going to be start from the starting point of I reject this because of how Mary Jane is being treated. If you, I think if you come to it with an open mind, you can see that these are creators who are have something in mind and are building toward it and are taking it seriously and imbuing it with emotional weight. You might think it's dumb, but the writer and artist here they don't and they're really trying to make it work whatever this is notice you know mark we complained a little bit when we were talking about uh, issue 900 about some of the the flip dialogue that spider-man had and pete had too about uh you know some of the 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 more complicated and annoying aspects of continuity and like who's who now and what is their current status this is all being taken dead seriously no, no jokes undercut this at all, and I know you speculated last time we talked that that perhaps some of that is the 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 influence of Ramita, whose whose panels have like such weight and clarity and emotional precision that there's not room to clutter them up with with nervous patter or or you know kind of kind of peat jokes, but. Yeah, this is all taken as dead serious. When, when It'd be very easy to play this scene of Norman Osborn wooing Peter Parker back into the fold. It'd be very easy to play it all as kind of a joke. I mean, this scene is impossible to pull off. This is like Richard III wooing Lady Anne. Like, it should not work. Narratively speaking... <laughs> every audience should reject this and that i to me that gives it some of its power like peter is uncomfortable but i just i just can't praise romita's work enough in this scene especially i've on earlier episodes of this podcast i've complained some about some of his faces in this run even as i have you know praised the the precision and clarity uh, of his storytelling but here my god mary jane's first appearance in this issue like i mean she just looks like she's being drawn by the guy who who drew her first almost.
1: And someone I, I saw someone complain about her, her quote unquote, dead eyes in, in on online. And I was kind of like, no, like, like, like this is like I, I got a lot out of that whole sequence in terms of, you know, the visuals of it. Like, like she is clearly like, you know, it's almost like not to be glib about it but it's almost like one of those like isis or or you know al-qaeda videos where she's like she's clearly doesn't want to be there and is it's like going through the motions but like she's doing it because something is going on that we don't know about here
0: <laughs> oh and she literally literally says to paul i know we'll talk more about this later but she literally says, like the first words we hear him say to her we hear her say to him are something like, we're happy with a period. <laughs> like, like no, no, you're not. And then there's that moment where she says, starts saying to Peter, the truth is, and gets cut off. And I mean, I'm sorry, that's good stuff. That's not just them. Yes, I know it can feel like the spider office is jerking you around uh Peter and Mary Jane stands. I think sometimes they do. I I, I do. But at least this time, they're, the writer and the artist are trying to do something interesting with it and they are emotionally engaged in the character. I do want to point out, by the way, I did not know or I could not tell that was Kamala Khan until she very awkwardly said her name in a way that doesn't make any <laughs> no, grammatical I sense was, and I had to read like three times. I was equally confused
1: by that, so you're not alone. So,
0: <laughs> But I but I bought it and I'm always glad to see her and I, I I felt like this is the first issue in quite a while where it felt like Amazing Spider-Man is taking place in the Marvel Universe.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it, it felt like there was a bigger world out there for sure. In terms of other, I guess, reveals in the in, in terms of the Peter and Norman interaction, I mean, I do want to throw out there, I mean, I know I, I quipped about it in the synopsis, we, we, we seem to be getting another new suit. I actually bought a variant cover that featured uh, uh, the new suit, not that that says much because like i actually was kind of unimpressed visually about this
0: thing you know you know what it sounds to me like you are asking how do i stop marvel from selling me all this crap i keep buying (laughs)
1: like that i was like well this is
0: lame. oh look a suit cover
1: let me get that
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's you know sorry I buy them digitally I don't I don't know about any of this Uh, I I never have gotten too excited about new suits except for like a truly radical redesign like the black suit you know I I'm not that deep into the minutia of the various costumes I I would expect this is probably a mandate from editorial you got to have a new suit you know a couple issues into a new run that's just how it goes but I do think taking the poison pill of the suit from Norman is, I think that's fun. I think it's fun to have our hero in the hands of his greatest villain, unsure what's going on, and likely in danger because of it. I do like that the new suit is clearly fabric rather than armor or something. Because, I mean, not that his spider boots sticking <laughs> to the wall have ever made a bit of sense to begin with. But, I mean, don't make it armor. His fingertips don't go through armor. <laughs> but, but yeah, if, if ever there has been a gift horse that demanded a full tonsillectomy it is this and i just love as you have certainly suggested in your synopsis that the reason he's going to get into the suit that peter's probably too smart to get into is because it's going to save his life at all
1: right let's let's jump a little bit to the mary jane paul sequence cuz this was you know i i you know talk about the 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 Mary Jane Peter shippers and all that like I felt like this was the, the the third rail of this comic if you will you know obviously we get this like very glimp a uh, very brief flashback glimpse into it from Peter's perspective of Paul taking the swing at Peter while like he's Talking to MJ and he's saying enough and it just looks very tense and terrible. I am loath in making predictions, especially after how the whole Kindred debacle played out. But you know, you were not a part of that era of Amazing Spider Talk, Alan. So maybe maybe you are in the prediction business and I don't wanna I don't wanna take that from you. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna parry this blow towards you and say what, what, what's your takeaway on this? What, what do, you want, do, you, do you have any insight into what the heck is going on with Mary Jane, this Paul guy, and Peter?
0: I, I feel like this is why I am a like fill-in guest host and not a permanent host. Temperamentally, I'm too similar to you. Uh, I do not have that gavazdin metabolism that gets me like really excited about the clues and the puzzly stuff. Uh, I'm much more invested in, you know, in the the emotional aspects of the stories, where the, what the characters are doing, how they're relating to each other, and whether they can actually find new ways to do inventive, exciting, spider action in each issue. The the more kind of soap operatic mystery elements, I just roll along with. And honestly. I, I think this is part of why, you know, the Spider-Marriage fans are, are still so... One of the reasons they're so mad at this comic is over the 901 issues of this series, very rarely have those soap opera mystery elements really been well executed, <laughs> you know? Like, they've often been terrible. And, you know, but then we get moments like the JMS run or, honestly, some of this material here where it feels like, yes, the situation is ridiculous... But the characters are being written as if they are true singular people who are worth knowing and reading about. So I have no idea what is going on with uh, Mary Jane and Paul. But it feels like it's building up to something. And so far, I'm inclined to trust Wells and Romita. What I like in this issue is that it signals to me after the disruption of that mega issue 900, it signals to me that we are now actually in what we call a run, what we mean when we use the word a run. A run in the sense of like the Stern run or the DeFalco run or Michelinie or DeMatteis or who, JMS or whoever. I mean a run where the mood and the concerns and mysteries linger from one issue to another and from one arc to another. Where what happens in one issue or story arc still has some resonance a, a couple issues later. And we even get a swinging and thinking page, which is my personal favorite.
1: Okay, we're not going to make a prediction and I... And I respect and admire that one 100% too. I will say like so taking this issue and the content and the narrative that we got at you know face value if you will, you know looking at this Paul character, uh, you know we, we got some some insights the first few issues that you know kind of showed him to be a little shady. Like this whole you know I don't know if this was was meant to be the takeaway, but my takeaway looking at this is like this Paul seems like a legitimate dirtbag. I mean maybe even worse than that like there's there's like something really wrong going on here and he also seems very unlikable like they're 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 not even making an effort in my opinion to be like oh yeah it's not peter that mj is with this guy's got some you know some great qualities of his own he's got these kids i mean maybe they you know they could have shown him interacting with his kids more and that he's a great dad and make us like him that way no we're they're not doing that so That's either just a a straight-up, like, storytelling error, which it could be. I I don't want to completely rule that out. But say this is all very intentional right now. So even from the perspective of – and, you know, if if you've been following my Twitter feed the past week, I've done this. (laughs) Like, let's poke the bear of the people who love the marriage. I get it. It's fun. I mean, like, I I actually don't have a problem with the marriage. I just have a problem with the people who – Only believe that the marriage is, like, the only thing... The only way you can tell a Spider-Man story anymore, which I think is nonsense. I think you could tell great stories with or without Peter and MJ together. I'm just... You know that. Dan knows that. Listeners of the show know that. What are we doing here? Like, Like, if Paul is truly as bad as they're making him out to be, I mean, like, that leads us down the rabbit hole of, is he abusive to MJ? What else is he doing? Like, what is he doing wrong to her? And, like... It just seems like, wow, we're really going in a dark place here. What's what's the end game? You know, like where, where where are we going with this?
0: Does it matter that Pete's spider sense never goes off from the guy? I mean that that's part honestly, that's how I've rationalized it. And, and I, I really I appreciate how you're you're taking great care to talk about, you know, the the schism that divides uh, Spider-Man comic fandom. I, I know most of the people who really treasure the marriage aren't the kind to yell at strangers on Twitter for having a temerity to like a comic book that they didn't like. But there are a couple. There are a couple who are like that. That friend of mine I once went with to a Kansas City Royals baseball game. You know them, Mark. They once They once beat your Mets. But he was a Cardinals fan. And he'd never gone to an American League game. And he sat next to me for nine excruciating innings. I mean, all Royals games, most years are nine excruciating innings. But he sat next to me the entire time complaining about the designated hitter and how the designated hitter makes baseball illegitimate. And I have never gone with that guy to a game again. Like, it's like you hate this element of the thing more than you love the thing itself. And I, I don't have time to listen to that. I'm sorry, I, I believe you guys are earnest in your deep love of the Spider-Marriage, but if you love the Spider-Marriage more than good Spider-Man comics, well, I mean, you do you, don't accuse me of being a shill or something for not agreeing with you. Your, <laughs> your impassioned feelings about the marital status of... Of the flagship character for the greatest, largest, uh, mega media corporation on the planet, you are not leading a movement <laughs> being annoyed about that. Okay. Yeah, I don't know where this is going. I have rationalized it by his spider by Pete's spider sense not going off, and I we have evidence in this issue, by the way, that Pete's spider sense works in the classic way. Paul is trying so hard to be down low, nice, and his awkward invitation of Peter to dinner, and then his like trying to pay his bills earlier, like. It definitely seems something more is going on here. Is it spider related or is it related to Mary Jane's own life and past? I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of hoping it's the latter rather than the former. Uh, I'd rather him not just be a villain, you know, out to, you know, exploit Mary Jane somehow. I, and I keep wondering if it might be related to Mary Jane's past and her family in Pittsburgh, which, of course, is the setting of this run's mystery box craziness. Like whatever Peter did, I think probably led to the situation that created this relationship. I just want to point
1: out, Alan, I think you're the first person on this show so far to make that connection to Pittsburgh and and Pennsylvania and where this all started. So, you know, put a pin in that. It's no, well, you see, Kindred is wearing the purple and the green of the first kiss with the bandages, the way Peter, we're not going that deep. But that's a good point. So we're we're going to we're going to put a pin in that and you know maybe we can sound a what did Peter do alarm next time we're in Pennsylvania.
0: I'm saying it's at least a red herring and something they're aware of. I'm not saying it's where this is going. I'm just saying that anybody taking over Amazing Spider-Man has read those issues.
1: I do want to bring up, you know, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm 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 basing our review around things that I saw people complain about on the internet. But like, what else am I going to do, right? I mean, that's 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 what we're here for. Uh, we exist on the internet. We're a podcast, damn it. You know, similar to what I said about Peter in the first segment of this show. I mean. MJ is is working with Norman. You know, we saw some scenes with her in the Spencer run where, you know, she was like, I will never, ever, ever trust you ever, ever, ever. I mean, many evers to emphasize that, you know, now she seems to you know, she's a brand ambassador. I kind of lean towards there's something more going on here. And MJ is a very savvy, smart person. But again, I'm not predicting anything. Alan, I'm not making you predict anything. But but what's your takeaway here?
0: takeaway is that if i mean this this is all hearsay i've not seen these people you're talking about who are asking these questions angry online but i mean it really just sounds to me like some people don't know how to read the first chapter of a story i i mean it just seems so obvious that she's up to something like she literally is here is using her superpowers which are savviness toughness, grit, minor celebrity and a willingness to go into places where she'll be in danger she's literally using her superpowers to enter Norman Osborn's laboratories and like gain access to his business she was doing more than we know that she was doing this is a run of comics Mark this is not just one comic this, it is very clear that Zeb Wells has read all of those Nick Spencer issues and understands and that he knows that Norman's relationship with these characters i mean yeah maybe this is the same mary jane who was like oh sure mysterio let's do a movie i don't care uh i don't think it is i think this is a savvier smarter mary jane who is up to something just like pete but guess what everybody we all made the mistake of being alive at a time when comics no longer have thought balloons to explain exactly what's happening in every image and we have to parse it with our eyes
1: Boy, are we in an unlucky time period. No, I, I'm kidding. I, I I like that we have to kind of, you know, maybe, dare I say, suspend disbelief sometimes with, with these uh, storylines. I've kind of dwelled a little bit on the whole problematic nature of a mystery box. I've talked about it in this episode and previous ones. I don't want to drone on too much longer about it, I, I but I do want to like Kind of again, throw the ball towards you, Alan, as our our, our available fill-in guest. But you're you're more than a fill-in. That that that, that sounded a little uh, patronizing there. D- do you have any other major takeaways about how we're setting things up here? Like how we're how we're playing without a full deck of cards as the reader, um, whereas. Wells clearly seems to know where this is going, even if we don't. Do you see anything else that's truly problematic here? Or are are you just trusting, trusting the process and letting it play out?
0: I don't I mean, I, I feel a little bad. I got a little snappish there for a moment at people for uh not trusting where this comic is going. And this creative team, for me, has instilled a sense of trust. Like I trust that they care about these characters and have thought this stuff through and are taking it somewhere. And I know that a lot of readers might not be feeling that yet, especially when, you know, the Spider Office, I think, betrayed reader trust, you know, during the second half of the Nick Spencer run pretty explicitly. And has also a long tendency of botching big stories and uh, this relationship, the emotional stuff. When, when, I mean, you know, I'm not hung up on the marriage, but I'd certainly acknowledge that the issues where they erased the marriage were some of the worst ever published. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can understand coming to this not expecting much. I'm just saying that for me, I'm optimistic. And I admit that I was also optimistic during much of the Spencer run, the first half, uh, which of course eventually ground its wheels and sputtered and took forever to answer its mysteries. But all that stuff I was just saying a few minutes ago about this issue feeling like it's part of an actual run, by which I mean a set of comics united by a coherent vision and vibe and story and character, and that there's a sense that all of this is going somewhere. I never felt that sense during the Kindred issues. I never felt that Spencer's ASM run managed to achieve that feel. And I was starting to feel that at the end of like issues five. And and now I'm definitely feeling it here. Like I I, I trust, I trust this is going somewhere. And if I'm wrong, you all, you know, please, please have at me. (laughs) That's fine. But... I always felt like the Nick Spencer run was about we're getting somewhere soon. We're going to this is going to be good when it all pays off. I feel like here we're in that good stuff. Things are already starting to pay off, even as it's setting other yeah, things and,
1: up. And, and to punctuate what you just said and kind of to repeat what you said even earlier in this episode, I think the, the, the big difference that we've gotten so far is, you know, Spencer set up his run where, you know, the entire weight of his run depended on what was going to be the reveal with this kindred. Whereas I feel like, and, and, you know, maybe this is me being kind of shilly, which I don't think I am, (laughs) you know, this whole thing with MJ and Paul and Norman, I mean, it could be a giant wet fart at the end of the day, but like, there are still really good stories being told that are, as you said, are not dependent on this mystery right now. So, You know, if it is a bit of a letdown, so what? Like we're getting really cool Tombstone stories and a really cool Vulture story, which we haven't even gotten to the Vulture yet in this review. And we're going to do that in the second half. But, um, you know, so let's just let's just roll with it. But before we roll with it, Alan, why don't you tell us about The Slack?
0: Hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider-Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting, conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Mark, I'm gonna change, jump into active conversations to swing into active conversations, and leave it there permanently. I I and I please, I, I think the people should hear this. I am a professional editor.
1: <laughs> I, I, I respect your editing, and, and Alan, as as a, a longtime writer, I, I like to say that no writer is above editing, and I I will defer to your edits here. So so thank you.
0: I'm 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 being a jerk. No editor should ever brag about their editing. It's a down low <laughs> secret service.
1: <laughs> well putting aside your editing if you want to join this awesome spider-man community and let me tell you alan i was at terrific a couple of weeks ago and um i was actually with one of our active slack people and he like for the whole show the whole con he's like showing me all this stuff he's posting in the slack and i was like that's great
0: all those complaints we were making earlier about like 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 some fans online being like just such raging jerks, that's not happening in the Slack. The Slack is full of good chill vibes. Like it feels good.
1: Let's talk about the Vulture, because like that's the that's the thing, Alan. Like we open this whole issue with like the return of one of Spider-Man's classic rogues, a uh, 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 Dicko Lee villain, the Vulture, Adrian Toomes. And we actually, we we call back something from what I believe was the Nick Spencer run. I don't have the exact issue number. I'm sure someone much more, you know, who pays attention to the details will will point that out here. You know, the whole sequence with Spider-Man kind of letting tiana know hey (laughs) your 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 grandfather's a dirtbag and he kills people you know good on wells for 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 bringing it all back and 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 even tying in stuff from the runs that preceded him that may not be as celebrated as what he's working on right now What, what what did what did you think uh of of seeing some tiana tombs here
0: Oh, I'm glad to see her getting you know brought back. You know, like um, Marvel characters can always be brought back, but they're not solidified into really existing until they've appeared in a couple different creators' runs. And Tiana has been in Spencer's ASM and in Solidon Ahmed's uh, Miles Morales book, which is pretty hit or miss, or has been. Although the pages, the, the the issues with her in the Miles Morales book are the best of that of that series. They're very very good. She's she's a pretty endearing and interesting character and a great foil for Miles. And you really get more of a sense of Miles as a specific individual person when he's kind of flirting, sparring with her than you do when he's just kind of going out on his own. And her two pages with the vulture in this issue, I thought, was another exhibition of Ramita Jr.'s just first-rate storytelling prowess. Every panel showcases a clear and potent and resonant emotional beat. And like, you know what everybody's feeling and why. And it builds like the emotion progresses from one image to the next. Very, very good stuff.
1: Yeah. You know, like when I when I saw the vulture here and and specifically how Adrian was being written and, you know, he was both diabolical, but sympathetic and violent and and heart breaking in a a way i know this is going to get me into like hot water with a certain segment of the fan base but like the comparisons to like the roger stern or the tom defalco runs i mean i think they're accurate here i mean like this is this is rich character stuff for one of spider-man's villains i mean roger stern has been on the record in saying that he liked writing the vulture more than any other spider-man villain because of you know first of all the dichotomy of the 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 young superhero versus like the kind of aging you know antiquated villain youth versus age experience and wit and, and and guile and and i feel like we're getting this on full display here i mean like this is this is like classic vulture and by classic i don't mean like Ditko era vulture i mean like that early 80s vulture that i don't feel anyone has kind of approach since. I mean, I think Dan Slott even at one point said, I don't like riding the vulture because he's an old guy in in wings. What's what's the fun in that? And it's like, no, don't you get it? This is like some like grizzled old man. I mean, like we we, we write old man logo and logo. We write old man Logan and celebrate it because we love that idea of like the old grizzled, uh, you know, like uh, I'm just sick and tired of this BS kind of. Character, and that's who you have with the vulture when you write him this way. And I'm very excited for a vulture story in this context.
0: They're with you. I mean, I think this is, you know, one of the best uh, spider villain, classic villain comebacks in a long, long time. And yeah, I'm with you. I love these smaller, more personal stories, especially ones where everyone's motivation is clear and powerful. The stakes are high here even if the city or the multiverse isn't at stake. And Vulture is vicious here. He's like trying new tricks that he's never used before and very cannily, you know, like hunting Spider-Man. But he's not like cheesily leveled up. Or you know how sometimes a creator comes on and is like, well, I'm going to make Rhino a real yeah. threat this time. <laughs> you know, like, you know, with all this redesign or anything. And, and, and they all like... Instead, you just buy that this is a truly scary vulture, without having to have Peter say one of those lines that I hate and I make fun of on here every every other week. I think I apologize for saying this so much, but Peter very often says like like okay if <laughs> if Peter shows up in like New Avengers written by Brian Bendis in like 2009, he's gonna say something about Bendis' new villain. Oh, even the Hulk never hit me that hard get out of here, I don't buy that at all, that's so lame. Here, Vulture is a threat because we understand why he's mad, and not because he has some elaborate scheme or some secret that he's working on. And and we had that great swinging and thinking page, which I already mentioned and praised, which was also, in addition to giving me what I want in a Spider-Man comic, made great narrative sense because it sets up Vulture's sneak attack. Peter is so caught up in his own head that that last minute Spidey sense flash on that, on that, God, I love that, that one panel that goes bright pinkish red and, and his spider sense is flashing that last minute splat, that last minute Spider-Man flash, just this tiny sliver of a panel at the end of the page. That's not good enough to save him. So often, writers write around the Spidey sense to create a moment of tension, and you feel a little ripped off sometimes as a Spider-Man fan because they just pretend it's not there or hand wave it. Here, it made perfect emotional sense. And I also just want to single out the coloring on these pages, the reflection of Spider-Man in a glass building as he goes past, the, the silhouettes as he's going among the rooftops, the bright abstract Spidey sense panel that I keep mentioning just gorgeous gorgeous stuff. We are really lucky to have such a gorgeous great, you know, couple pages. Yeah, and
1: I I, I mean to add to that like as much as we've been praising JRJR JR over this issue and and even this run and and like let me don't don't get me wrong. I loved how he how he set up all of the fighting with Tombstone the previous few issues, but like this fight with the vulture, I mean like this was like masterclass sequential art storytelling here I mean like you know like going first like the the sideways pages like I'm mean, I mean like I'm I'm sitting there whether I should be doing this or not I'm turning the book this way I'm turning the book that way and that's how it should be because this is this is someone swinging through the air fighting someone with wings in the air like this is disorienting it's 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 causing vertigo it's it should be confusing you should be flipping your book this way and that way and Ramita just nails it like this is like like perfect visual story Storytelling for a fight between Spider-Man and the Vulture. I cannot think of a better panel-to-panel sequence of showing these two at fisticuffs here. Like, this is this is going to, to me, I'm going to put this out there, and again, people are going to like, wow, Janakio's with the hot takes right now. This is like one of the best-looking Spider-Man Vulture fights I've ever seen in a Spider-Man comic book. Although I will point out that after what is close to 60 years now since this character was first introduced, and by this character, I mean the Vulture, that... It, it, it is kind of like amazing to me that he just now thought of, well, if I just punch the web shooters, <laughs> I can take him out. And it's like, oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I, I joked in my in my synopsis. He cut the Gordian knot. I mean, like, can you think of a better solution than just punch the damn spider shooter? The web shooter is like, that's how you take him out. I, I mean, like it was brilliant stuff. It, I, I really adored that entire sequence.
0: And it was scary. No, I'm entirely with you on that. I always wonder, and I wish we could get some clarification about this in the book sometimes, but I also know it will vary from creator to creator. I always wonder how much the, the uh, villains actually know about Spider-Man's powers. Like, you know, do, do they know that he even has web shooters? I mean, he used to narrate out loud, so maybe they do. Maybe he mentioned them. I don't know. That that stuff's always always pretty interesting to me. But yeah, I, I'm with you. Mark, I don't think your superlative there is necessarily overstated. I don't know that it's overstating at all to, to argue that this is one of the best vulture fights we've ever seen, the best depicted, because, I mean... The Vulture's so often just kind of a character who's thrown in for an issue or two in between bigger stories and never given too much care or thought. And, and, and this was just phenomenally well done. I mean, this is just a masterclass.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, probably the best Vulture story we've gotten in recent memory was Spider-Man Homecoming. And, you know, like, to me, that took away the age factor, but was still kind of cool. But (laughs) we haven't gotten one in comics like this in a really long time, probably since the Stern era, frankly. Uh, I mean, maybe there were some good JMD stories with Vulture during uh, his spectacular run in the 90s. Like you said, like, he's an underutilized villain because I think some people just look at him and see old bald guy and and don't know how to write him but clearly Zeb is not not going to shy away from it and Romita is very up for the challenge here
0: oh Romita I mean even in the the tombs scenes Romita seems to really be enjoying drawing that face
1: yeah do you want to do grades here or do you have any other last thoughts on this issue here
0: No, you know, I don't think you and I came on here planning to, to torch the uh, (laughs) Spider-Marriage, but we still did. (laughs) Just a little. Yeah, really, really, guys, it's okay. I, I really, really enjoyed this issue and I am happy to give it a B plus. And by the way, Mark, when you're reading on a tablet, you can turn the comic, whoever you want, without feeling guilty. Oh, there you
1: go. I mean, that's, that, that probably makes it a lot easier. Well, well. Well well, Alan, in an in indicative of the fact that once you start doing multiple reviews with a person, you start kind of thinking with them and, and kind of assimilating with them. I mean, you know, when, when Dan and I first started umpteen years ago, we, we were always a few grades off when we started and then we've kind of like became lockstep. I'm right there with you. It's a B plus for me. I mean, like this is this is a solid opening salvo of a of a storyline here. I would have gone into the A minus range if not for some of the 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 kind of sticky stuff I had mentioned with the the mystery box, if you will. On its own merits, this is still a really good issue of Spider Man. I mean, like you know, it's it's kind of amazing to me that the Centennial was is kind of in the weak weak link of this run so far. It's amazing. <laughs>
0: No, I think you're exactly right, and I think part of what brings me to B plus rather than A territory, you helped um, me understand tonight, which is the setting up and keeping going all of the mystery box stuff, is probably the reason we're not getting Peter narration during the Peter scenes, and preserving the mystery means denying us a little too much of his emotional life right now.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a that's a great point. If you find this show entertaining and valuable, please consider supporting us uh, by recommending Amazing Spider to talk to a friend. And of course, if you're able, become a member on Patreon.
0: We bring you this content with the support of our Patreon members, and we owe the show's success to every single one of them. And we are constantly making exclusive content for our members. So
1: why not take $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic most of the time, and put it towards a month subscription to support the show and start receiving our Patreon content. That way you'll hear our Patreon-exclusive review podcast on every new issue of Amazing Spider-Man the same week it comes out instead of waiting for it to arrive in our public podcast feed.
0: And if you contribute $10 a month, you gain access to exclusive artwork from famous Spider-Man artists commissioned exclusively for our members. We've recently commissioned Juan Ferreira to depict the black suit Spider-Man and Daredevil to help memorialize our transition into the Peter David era of Spectacular Spider-Man. Plus, every episode, we release a new episode specific desktop background created for us by artist Nick Cignetti for our patrons to enjoy.
1: But we know this is a hard time for everybody. And we don't say that to patronize. I mean, we're, 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 we're deadly serious here. It is for us too. So we appreciate anyone who supports the, sh- the show just by listening and sharing. But if you have the means, please join our Patreon to support the continued existence of our show. Just follow the link in the description. And thank you to all of the members who already make this show possible.
0: Alan... Bring us to the bridge. <laughs> it's that time, Mark. Time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. This episode was
1: edited by Rick Coase with production support from Andy Myers. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Buscema, and Ray Sumzer. Our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider-Maj. Our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton from the Panels to Pixels YouTube channel. So, Alan, until I talk to your cats about what a terrible person you are behind your back, what's our motto?
0: The cats are big, big. I mean, they turned their backs on this series after one moment in time and will never, ever read it again. But Mark, with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing Spider Talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment.